Welcome to the Bike Podcast from The Guardian, where every month we take a look at the wide world of cycling. Coming up in this edition of The Bike Podcast. I'm James Randerson and I'll be telling you how I got on on a 120 mile bike ride from London to Suffolk, the Dunwich Dynamo. We've also got John Crace talking to Olympic champion and cycling poster girl Victoria Pendleton. I've got a lot of criticism in the past from coaches thinking I don't take it seriously because I still look like a girl. There's a hybrid bike review from Dr Justin Spinney and we take a look behind the scenes at Pashley Cycles, England's longest running bicycle manufacturer. The Dunwich Dynamo is an annual bike ride which begins in East London and finishes 116 miles later on the beach in Dunwich, a sleepy village on the Suffolk coast. It was started by a handful of bike messengers in 1993 and over the years has swelled, now attracting up to 700 cyclists. James Randerson, environment editor for Guardian.co.uk, had previously only cycled about half the distance of this route, so we thought it'd be fun to send him along on this year's event. Well, I'm here at the start of the Dunwich Dynamo at London Fields. Um, it's a glorious summer's evening, um, still incredibly warm. You can probably hear uh, a cricket game going on in the background. People are lazing around, drinking beer, there are a few barbecues going on. Uh, but uh, all of that goes on most of the time in uh, London Fields. There are also about five or 600 cyclists here, um, and everyone's sort of ready for the off, really. You're drinking lager, is that sensible? Uh, yeah, well, I feel a bit dehydrated, so I need, to, I need to rebalance myself. What's the hardest bit? Is it is it the sheer distance because it's 120 miles, or is it is it the kind of through the night? It's mainly, I think, the through through the night. Your body clock just sort of shuts down at about one or two in the morning, which is when you're not quite halfway there, and you're in desperate need of food. So, what what are your tips for uh, for sort of survival? Because I'm this is the first time I've done it. Okay, best tip for survival is drink every 10 minutes, eat every 20. Right, I'll try and remember that. Keep saying it, keep saying it to yourself. Probably in the next half an hour, all these people are going to get on their saddles and start the uh, the ride. Now, it's around 8 o'clock in the evening, and basically I'm planning to try and finish it, which probably means it's going to take me about 12 hours. But uh, there's certainly a carnival atmosphere here, and uh, people look like they're ready to go. So, as they say on uh, Saving Private Ryan, see you on the beach. So we've got about uh, three miles and it's uh, puncture number two and this time it's me which is great. Uh, luckily I've brought a couple of spare inner tubes but um, it could be, uh, could be a long night at this rate. Well we left that little uh, incident behind. Thankfully I have two tyres that are fully inflated now and we're we're just passing through leafy Woodford and there's a beautiful sunset ahead lighting up the sky. So really it's just a case of following the red lights from now on. I hope everyone else knows where they're going. Oh, we're outside the Nags Head. Where are we? I have no idea. Uh, no, 20 miles outside of London, I've just been told. Yeah. You're wearing a dress and dealy boppers. Yes. This can only mean you're on a stag do. You know most people don't cycle 120 miles on their stag do. Mind you, you have got a pint in your hand. Yes, yeah, I got a pint. And the dress is quite comfy, actually. Um, it's getting going to get a little chilly on the chest area. But, yeah. Well, the good news is that I've got 65 miles under my saddle and we're uh, at the feeding station at the moment. And what you can hear around me is the sound of 
500 odd very, very sweaty cyclists all queuing up for some much needed food. Um, the bad news, of course, is that we've got another 55 miles to go before we get to Dunwich. Um, it's still the middle of the night. Uh, it's, yeah, quarter to three in the morning. Although, strangely, it doesn't really feel like that. It feels more like, I don't know, quarter to midnight or something like that. I think I've managed to confuse my body into thinking that because I'm doing some serious exercise and constantly eating snacks, that it must be the daytime, but I'm not sure how long I'm going to get away with that for. To go to nedging and avoid Bilderston. Nedging can do, yeah. If we go down here, well, we're about five or six miles out of the feeding station and uh, we're making a bit of an unscheduled pit stop because I think we're lost. Um, beautiful dawn ahead of us and you can probably hear the birds behind me singing, um, which is all lovely. We have been rained on a little bit, but uh, although we're kind of heading east towards the dawn, which is generally good, uh, we're not quite sure we're on the right road. So we're just, uh, there's some frantic checking of maps and uh, we'll have to see what happens. The last 30 miles or so have been really tough. Um, taking the wrong turning really didn't help psychologically. Uh, it really doesn't, it's really not what you want to have to cover ground that you didn't really have to when there's still so far to go. Um, it's also been raining fairly steadily, which doesn't help. And um, my legs feel like jelly. On top of that, my knee is really killing me, so I'm effectively cycling with one leg at the moment. It's about quarter to six in the morning. I think about 30 miles still to go, which, uh, you know, is a respectable... <laughs> Sunday ride, really. I don't expect anyone listening to this to have any sympathy for me, uh, but the last 20 miles have just been absolute agony. Every last bit of me hurts, especially my left knee, and I never, frankly, want to look at a saddle uh, again. Uh, but, the great news is uh, I just passed a sign saying two and a half line miles to Dunwich. So very much on the home stretch. Okay, I'm just descending the hill now into Dunwich. The rain stopped and it's brightening up rather appropriately. The riders are really uh, spread out. I mean, at the beginning we were, there was a huge group of us that gradually thinned out through the night and now there are just one or two people, maybe groups of five or six. And we're here. Excellent. Oh, fantastic. And there's the sea behind the seawall. It's just a, a huge car park full of uh, very, very sweaty people on bikes. Mandisa. Hey! <laughs> this is the sweatiest place in, in the British Isles. Hello. Oh, God. Hello. 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 
get off the bike. Come on. I might fall off. It's okay. A weary James Randerson there, but well done to him for finishing. You can find out more about James's cycling adventures at The Guardian's new bike blog, a place to join in the debate on all things cycling related, including bike vandals, ghost bikes, bike rage experiences and ride and go cycle schemes. Come and take a look at guardian.co.uk slash bike slash blog. Victoria Pendleton's Olympic triumph in Beijing was followed with another title at the World Championships in Poland. And having raised Cycling's profile with her success on the track, she elevated her own status off it, with numerous and occasionally nude photo shoots in newspapers and lads mags. So what was it like to suddenly become the poster girl for her sport? Guardian columnist John Crace went to find out. You're not the conventional shape for a bicyclist, a cyclist, are you? Because, I mean, most of the ones I see on telly, kind of, they're built like brick shit. For sprinting, has. no, I'm definitely not the right shape. I mean... When I started, everyone was very sure that I would be moving to the road fairly swiftly um, and that, you know, the fact mm. losing weight for me to be an ideal road cyclist would have been mm. easier than trying to develop Bulk enough up. muscle mass yeah. to be comparable to the ladies in a sprint. So despite, well, not fitting in the traditional norm, mm. my power to weight ratio is very good. Yeah. And also the fact that naturally on a bike I have a very low drag coefficient. So my slipstream, the, 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 my aerodynamics naturally is good. I don't know why, I've been in a wind tunnel and it's just good. Because right. I have quite narrow shoulders and my hips are quite narrow and I just don't cut Take a very big space. hole in the yeah. air. And I can't, you know, that, that, that's not nothing I've trained to do specifically. Hmm. It's just the way it is. So combined with my power output, um, because I've got a very high proportion of fast twitch fibres, but you get certain individuals that crop up now and again who are strong but they don't have great mass. My muscles mm. are quite dense. I'm quite heavy for the size of me and mm. um, people are always surprised how much I weigh and they, they can't believe it because they think I'd be a lot lighter mm. because I'm quite, I've got quite dense powerful muscles mm. but they're just not in terms of their size. They don't take up a lot of room. No. <laughs> Very efficient little muscles. <laughs> I'm a little engine on a bike. But no, there are advantages, you know. Yeah. I'm only pushing 62 kilos up the banking when there could be girls I'm racing yeah. against weighing up to 80. Yeah. And, you know, that takes more watts to get them up. Yeah. And also, if you're expending, you know, much higher um, absolute wattage, you've got to recover from it also, mm. you know. And heating those peak powers are what really saps your energy. So yeah. I, I'm in an advantage in that respect because I've always been a very... Um, I've always done a lot of work endurance-wise. Um, and I recover a lot quicker than some of those other bigger girls in a competition. So the fact of the matter is, despite a lot of people thinking I was wrong, yeah. I'm a tenacious little being. Mm. I want to do it yeah. and I want to be the best and I want to win. And whatever you say, it just inspires me to try harder to prove you wrong. Because yeah. I never felt limited. I, want to, I don't want anybody to tell me what I can and can't be. Mm. I want to be exactly what I want. And I want to be everything So you're at stroppy. Once. I'm, I, I get, I'm, I've got very strong views. Mm. I don't like people telling me, visually looking at me and telling me what I can and can't do. Mm. I've got a lot of criticism in the past from coaches thinking I don't take it seriously because I still look like a girl. You know, I haven't cut my hair short, haven't, you know, I, I still wear makeup. You know, I, I, I wear high heels, you know, in, <laughs> if, if I want, you know, at the weekend. And they're like, yeah. you know, perhaps that has been perceived as not taking it seriously because you're mm. not trying to be more of a masculine individual. Mm. And do you really want to be here? 
how do you start off? I mean, is it just really scary to start with? Just sort of it's exciting. It's <laughs> not scary. Yeah. I mean, um, if you look down the top of the banking from the sort of apex of the yeah. bend, you're like, whoa, that's actually really steep. How does yeah. that work? Yeah. Um, when you're riding around, it doesn't look that bad. Really? That's a big shock factor. So as long as you don't look over the top before you start, yeah. <laughs> you keep your eyes ahead, it's fine. And what's the, what's the secret to riding the track then? Just to stay relaxed. Yeah. I think if you tense up, if you start panicking about the, mm. the bends, the steep, the gradient, mm. that's when you start slipping and making mistakes. Yeah. You've got to be very relaxed um, and just you've just got to keep your eyes on where you want to go. Yeah. And when you're in a sprint race, is it just sort of eyeballs out from that or are you kind of really watching what the other well, person you watch is what doing? They do. You watch what they do, obviously, but when you commit to a move, it's 100%. There's yeah. no, there's no keeping anything in the tank. It's just lay your cards right down, yeah, and just go for it. Once you won the world championships and the Olympic games, I mean, how do you get yourself up to do it all over again? I think, I think it's it's been made very easy for me this time, because obviously the London Olympics. Yeah. I think if the Olympics were in any other city, it might be it might be a hard decision yeah. to make. But there is no decision just because such a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? You'd be crazy. If you're in a physical position now that I am, why wouldn't you continue for another, you know, four years from the finish of that Olympics to the yeah. next one? It's not a long time. It'll, it'll flash by. Um, and the opportunity of competing on home turf is, is amazing. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing to be part of it, let mm. alone having an opportunity to really perhaps yeah. have success there. When you retire, say, after London, yes. will you ever look at a bike again? Yes, I th I'm looking forward to a day when I can ride my bike without having a specific objective. You know, just to go out and ride for any length of time, yeah. and not having to worry about how much to do, if I've done enough, if I've gone fast enough, just to pootle along at my own pace and take in the countryside and just kick back. Maybe go out with people who, you know, my friends and stuff who, they cycle a bit, but yeah. they're, not, they're not up to training standard and just have a nice chat, be a bit yeah. social. I, look, I do look forward to the days where I don't have an objective, but obviously when I ride now, it's like, this is why I want to get out of this session and wah. Yeah. That's what I do. It's my job, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Thank Victoria. you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. This is the Bike Podcast from The Guardian. Coming up, we travel to Stratford-upon-Avon to visit Pashley Cycles to find out why there's something to reverse surgeons for their classic bikes. But first, our regular bike review feature. Hello, producer Pete here, and I'm joined by Justin Spinney once again for another bike review. Justin, it's a miserable, cold, damp summer's day in London, and you've got a couple of bikes for me here. Are they going to cheer me up? I think so, Pete, judging by the looks of them. We've got the Specialized Cirrus Elite and the Trek Soho, which are both hybrid bikes. So these bikes both have flat handlebars. Are there any key differences between the two? Yes, there are. Um, although you might not necessarily notice them straight away, one of the key differences between these bikes is the gears. Um, now, the Cirrus uh, Elite is has got much more familiar um, gears it has derailleur gears it has three chain links up the front um, a sequence of sprockets at the back and it changes gear by shifting between those whereas the Trek Soho has what's called a hub gear where the gears are contained in the rear wheel in the rear hub um, it just has one chain ring up the front and you just have one gear shifter as opposed to two gear shifters one of the key advantages of the hub gear is that 
The actual gearing mechanism is enclosed in the hub, which means it's sealed off from the weather, which means all the salt and the water and the grit isn't going to get to it in the same way that it would on a traditional derailleur setup. If hub gears were so great, why don't we see them on more bikes? That's a very good question. Um, over here, we're just, we've got used to derailleur gears. 95% of the bikes that you see in a shop or out on the street will have derailleur gears. It's what people are familiar with. If you went to a country like Denmark, however, you'd see almost the exact opposite. Probably 80 or 90% perhaps of bikes out there will have a hub gear of some sort. And that is purely because they are just much less maintenance. And staying with the Trek, it really looks different to your average bike. And I can see already there's, there's something that I've actually never seen before. It doesn't actually have a chain. Um, what on earth is that? Well, this, this bike is a bit of a quiet revolution in biking technology, I would say. It, this, is, this is pretty much the first production bike that utilises a belt drive instead of a chain drive. And there are a number of advantages in that. The, the, the most obvious one being that you'll never have to roll your chain again. OK, and we'll look at the, the Specialised. This looks like a more traditional hybrid bike. It does, um, but still this has got a fair amount of technology in it. It's got a carbon fork, it's got a carbon rear stay, and on paper that should take a few of the stings and the knocks out of your ride. Well that's enough of the techie stuff. You're going to take these for a spin now. Let's listen to how you get on. Okay, well I'm riding the Specialized Cirrus Elite at the moment, and one of the first things you'll notice about this bike is that it is a very quick bike. Um, the kind of road geometry coupled with those gears makes for quite a fast ride. It accelerates quickly and you feel you feel quite comfortable at speed. Now the upright riding position of this bike makes it quite makes it feel quite confident to ride. I think this is let down a little bit by the fact that the steering is just a bit too twitchy. It's quite a comfortable bike to ride. You feel like you could probably do a fairly long commute on this without getting too tired. That carbon in the fork and the carbon in the bank really does take a few stings out of the road, meaning you could ride this bike for a bit longer. In terms of gear shifting, again, the bike features reasonable Shimano gears, and as you'd expect, they do their job quite well. The shifting is smooth, it's easy, and the shifts, shifts up and down with ease, no misshifting. Okay, I've just ridden the Specialized Cirrus Elite and now I'm gonna have a ride on the Trek Soho. Okay, one of the first things you notice about this bike is in terms of acceleration, it's not the quickest thing in the world. It's what I'd describe as stately. The combination of, you know, it's laid back feel and it's slightly chunkier tires and the weight of the thing mean that it doesn't get off from the blocks so quickly. Flip side of that is that in terms of comfort, those slightly fatter tyres, that feel, it adds up to a nice upright, confident riding position, and it takes a lot of the knocks and bumps out of the road for you. Now, one thing I love about this bike is these gears. This hub gear is an absolute revelation. It's quiet, the shifting's effortless, and one real advantage is if you come up to a junction, stop in a hurry, you find yourself in the wrong gear, you can just shift down a couple of gears, not even pedaling and move off, no gear mashing. Another thing you really notice about this bike is how silent it is. The combination of that hub gear and that belt drive means that there's just no noise. I'm cycling through the park and all I can hear is the birds. 
Okay, now one thing that does let this bike down a little perhaps is the brakes here. When you put these anchors on and you put them on hard, it's not the same feeling you get from a disc brake or a V-brake. It's progressive, but they just haven't got that bite. Hello again, Justin. Out of breath? Not too bad today, Pete, because we're not, we weren't racing around to, uh, this week like we were last week. Well, let's um, conclude then about the, uh, the, the Trek Soho. How much is it, firstly? Uh, the Trek Soho is just shy of £700, which is a lot for a bike, I know. But value for money? I actually think um, it represents really good value for money. What you're getting for it, you're getting some serious cutting edge technology. Uh, that belt drive, as I say, pretty much first production bike to feature it. Um, good quality components, an all-round well thought out bike. Who do you think it's aimed at? I think this is aimed at the commuter weekend leisure rider, but it's the kind of commuter who isn't racing to work every day. It'll still get you there quickly, but it's the stately home of bikes. <laughs> and it has my guards already will it take a rack uh, yes it will this has got plenty of bits and pieces you could fit different mud guards you could fit panniers front and rear on this so you could definitely take it off for a bit of light touring okay let's move on to the specialized cyrus how much is this one uh the specialized cyrus is about 530 pounds i believe so significantly cheaper than the trek value for money Still really good value for money, but I would actually say that in the long term, I know the Trek's £170 more, but I think you would start to save that in terms of maintenance. You wouldn't be buying the brake pads, the new chains, the cassettes. Things aren't going to wear out as quickly on the Trek as the Specialized. This one is perhaps a more, more sleek and stylish bike. Who do you think this one's aimed at? This is aimed at someone that wants to get to work pretty sharpish. Um, it lends itself to speed. This is the boy racer of hybrid bikes, I would say. Will it take mud guards and a rack? Can you make it a bit more sensible? Uh, you can make it a little more sensible. It will take mud guards. It hasn't got the same amount of eyes. No, it, it won't take panniers, so you're not going to be able to go and do the same kind of touring that you maybe could on the trek. Many thanks for that, Justin. That's been really useful. And uh, hopefully we'll hear from you next month. Absolutely. We'll be back uh, same time next month with some more bike testing. Thanks, Pete and Justin. And you can find out more about the Trek and Specialised bikes they reviewed at the Bike Podcast webpage. Founded over 80 years ago, Pashley Cycles are the longest-running bike producer in England. The classic English style of the bikes has barely changed since the early days, and despite the current economic climate and prices of between £500 to £800, Pashley bicycles are going through something of a resurgence, with orders up for 2009. We travelled to their HQ in Stratford-upon-Avon to find out why. My name is John Connod. I am sales executive for Pashley Cycles. You will know a Pashley rider um, is coming behind you if you hear this particular noise which is the, the classic ding-dong bell. Um, that's fitted to all our classic bicycles, and it's, uh, it's one that raises a smile. It doesn't make people jump out of the way. They, they think they're being approached by a vicar or a district nurse or something. So uh, moving on, we've got the, the Gents Roadster bicycle. Um, this is a classic uh, diamond frame. Probably in terms of imagery, if you think of uh, Dutch bicycles, you're getting there. I mean, it's an English design, but the, the Dutch have picked up on it sit-up-and-beg style. So, you, you, again, you're not thrown over the handlebars. Your head is up straight. Your back is straight, which is good for the back. Um, it means you're visible to the traffic, and you can see the, the traffic around you. The Pashley Governor. Uh, this is a, 
a new old bike um, originally sold by the company in, in the 1930s and uh, it's selling you know really really well it's it is a racing bike so it has large 28 inch wheels but with wider tires than you would expect on a modern racer um, they're sort of like bloom tires basically our target demographic is for those uh, interested in bicycles to the extent that they're interested in the history um, and quality uh, above other things so uh, there's something about the imagery of the bike which is capturing the imagination of, of, of lots and lots of people it, it's sold way beyond our expectations I'm Adrian Williams and I'm the Managing Director of Pashley Cycles here in Stratford-upon-Avon. Pashley um, started uh, in Birmingham in 1926. Uh, William Rathbone Pashley founded the company and he was a dispatch rider in the First World War and so that gave his uh, love of bicycles but he was also very much um, uh, in the automotive sector so that was the engineering and he brought the two together. I think what, what has happened uh, in recent years is that there has been this uh, move uh, away from the mass-produced uh, and uh, people wanting to know where their product came f has come from and, uh, and also people want to be a bit more individual. With us they, they know that the bicycle is made here, we make the frames, we prepare the frames, we paint the frames, we assemble the bicycle all on this site and there are very few people um, like us in England and uh, indeed Europe. So we're now in the frame shop. This is where we make our classic bikes. So this process has hardly changed uh, since the 1920s. This is the classic princess uh, ladies model uh, that we make and uh, David here is actually uh, putting the bicycles together. He will put the various uh, sizes of tubes into the different lugs. Now the tube is going in and then he will actually hit it with the hammer to make sure it's uh, fully home. Uh, he's now applying a jig to that to make sure the frame is, is straight. See in, the, uh, in the distance there the uh, mud guards uh, that have just come out of the oven. The operator is applying uh, powder to the uh, frame and he will put the gloss coat on to the frame and then again it goes into the second oven after peak and uh, the gloss coat is bonded on and then it comes out here into the assembly area. There are ourselves, Brompton and Moulton are the three companies left actually making uh, bicycles in the UK and we account for 1% of all bicycles sold uh, in this country. Well what is surprising when we came into 2009 we were obviously slightly apprehensive about um, uh, the current uh, economic situation and how that affect us but we are so busy at the moment it's uh, amazing. Uh, we've just uh, appointed a distributor in Japan and also in Taiwan and it's surprising to sell to Taiwan because Taiwan is the epicenter today of uh, bicycle production. It used to be Birmingham and Nottingham, but now um, in the UK, but now of course it's um, Taiwan. That's it for this month's bike podcast. Don't forget you can leave comments on Victoria Pendleton, Pashley's or the other stories we've covered at guardian.co.uk slash bike slash blog which is also home to all the latest cycling stories. We're back in August. See you then.